0: Hello, and uh, welcome to Talk Product. My name is Casey Hald, and this show is all about talking about digital product design, tech, life, and how to get into the industry. So today I'm talking with Jessica Ivins. Hey, Jessica.
1: Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to the podcast. So, um this is the first time I've actually spoken with you. So I get to actually meet someone for the first time and have them on the podcast. So I'm super stoked to be talking with you today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a while since I've been on a podcast, so it's uh, really nice to be back in the swing of things.
0: Yeah. And it's been a while since I posted my last episode. Like, uh, I had my wisdom teeth removed and I was kind of out of it for the last three weeks. Like I had a weird reaction with my medication. And then I had my COVID shot and I just been like in and out of consciousness basically. So I'm, I really appreciate you uh, being a guest after that, that break.
1: (laughs) Oh, no problem. I'm glad you're feeling better. And just so you all know, um, I'm battling allergies. I live in Tennessee. It's like the allergy capital of the world. So I'm basically getting smacked around by tree pollen. Um, (laughs) So if I sounded a little nasally, that's why.
0: It's funny, we are too. Like I have a thick layer of pollen on my car, and it's been a problem. Like it, it it's even affected my dog too. Like we've been having to give her baths just because the pollen she's get she gets like skin irritation. So you oh, know, have to really yeah. kind of keep her clean and keep her paws clean and stuff. But it's yeah, we we have that as well. It's it
1: sucks. It's so bad that I parked my car in a garage and it's still covered in pollen just from.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's <that's bad>. awful. <laughs> It's terrible, but you know, it's spring's coming and I mean, summer's coming and we're getting out of winter and it feels like things are, I mean, it feels like things are getting a little bit better with COVID. I mean, certainly here not the rest of the world, but it feels like a little bit things are, things are easing out a bit. I feel like.
1: For sure. Yeah. It's, it's really nice to just get back to some sort of sense of normal. Like I'm fully vaccinated and you know, I have a daughter and we're starting to have, playdates again with certain people and I'm starting to have friends over once in a while. So it's, it's really nice to kind of dip my toe back into normalcy.
0: Man, I don't remember, like, I don't even remember what that's like having friends over. It's been so long since my (laughs) wife and I had guests in our apartment that after a while, we just kind of let the apartment uh, basically Like we didn't really clean it a whole lot. We're just like, you know, we're not going to have guests. We may as well just hang out in pajamas and just relax and try to ride this thing out and just keep our mental health in check and do what we need to do to kind of like ride through COVID. So I'm jealous, jealous that you get to hang out with friends and stuff. Now that you've got your second shot, I got my first, I think I'm getting my second shot a couple of weeks from now. So I'm eagerly waiting for that date to come. So that way we can like go out and like, you know, be humans again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, congrats on your first shot. And, uh, at this point you're in the home stretch, so you're getting there. <laughs> thanks.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I, I certainly feel better, even if it's kind of a placebo effect because it was two days ago. <laughs> but I think <laughs> right. me- mentally speaking, I, I feel better for sure. Um, so yeah, Jessica, I'd, I'd love to get started by, uh, just having you introduce yourself and kind of tell me a little bit about, uh, who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. So I'm a UX designer and an educator, and I've been in the field for about 17 years now. I've had a long career that started out as a front-end developer through UX design and then into UX education, UX leadership and management. And it's been a really great ride. And I just love UX design. It's certainly the career for me. And I'm so glad I discovered it when I did. Anyway, at the um, years ago, you know, um, cause it's ballooned into such a different field now, but anyway, um, I'm a UX designer and educator and I help UX designers at all stages of their career, level up their skills. So that's where I'm at now.
0: That's awesome. 18 years. That's incredible being in UX yeah. for that long.
1: Yeah. About 17, 18 years, something like that. Yeah. And I did start out as a front end developer, but you know, I've been building software for that long and even really before that, because I was doing a lot of things in college, before I got my first full-time job. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I feel like I started in tech early on in my career too, just because like web design, I mean, back then it's what made money pretty quickly for me. Like if if you could say that you could create websites like back in the late 2000s or so is, is sort of when I kind of hit the ground mm-hmm. running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just started making money like and, and being kind of a broke 19-year-old, you know, newly married, figuring my life out, like it it felt like a good direction. And it just kind of blossomed from like web design. And then that turned into information architecture. And then that turned into user experience and all these other titles. And it's just, it's kind of crazy to see where it's come. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how a lot of folks get into the field that way in a very organic way, which I think is one of the wonderful things about UX design is that Um, You know, there are certainly barriers for some people, I I don't want to gloss over it and make it sound like anyone can get in because, um, you know, that's the reality of life. And at the same time, um, there are way fewer barriers to getting in than there are, you know, other fields. So I, it's one of the things that's really exciting about what we do.
0: Yeah, that's true. There is like the barriers are kind of coming down a little bit. Like I've Mm -hmm. noticed bigger companies like Google and Facebook, they don't even require a formal education anymore. They basically... And correct me if I'm wrong, I could be a little ignorant about it, but I feel like as long as you have the experience and, and the chops to do it and you can pass their sort of blackboard tests and all that, well, whiteboard te- blackboard, what was the last time I used a blackboard as where that, that just came out of my mouth just now, like their their whiteboard tests. Like if you can pass their tests, it feels like they they'll just hire you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that actually brings me to something. One of the things I've learned from working at Center Center UIE for all these years is that, uh, so so back uh, prior to when I was hired in 2014 to work at Center Center, our UX design school, uh, my co-founders had done research with UX hiring managers throughout the field to learn, you know, what is it that you hire for? How do you hire? What skills do you need for UX designers? And one of the things that the co-founders learned was that, most hiring managers don't really care about where you went to school or what degree you have. They care about whether or not you can do the work. That's what's really important to them. So um, that, that was a huge driver for why we designed the curriculum the way that we did and why we designed the program the way that we did.
0: Mm-hmm. When did you first get interested getting involved in the education space in UX design?
1: So I would say, you know, I've always been interested in being an educator of some sort. When I was in college, I actually majored in art education K through 12. So I was learning how to teach art to children every, you know, from every grade, from kindergarten through 12th grade. And I learned through student teaching that it, teaching kids just really wasn't for me. But I always knew I wanted to be some sort of educator. So I discovered front end web development, became a front end web developer. I grew my career into UX design, became more senior. And then I got into public speaking and uh, teaching UX workshops. And then I got asked to teach more workshops and I just loved it. I really loved giving back to the field. And one of the reasons I love giving back to the field was because I was fortunate to have so many great UX managers and leaders and mentors help me grow my career that I wanted to give that back to the community. So that's what I was doing. and. While doing that, I got on on, on the radar of uh, one of our co-founders, Jared Spool. I got to know him through the conference circuit. We were speaking at the same conferences and everything. And when he and uh, Dr. Leslie Jensen-Inman, uh, our other co-founder, were creating the school, Uh, they were hiring faculty members and I was one of the top people. It turns out I was one of the people that Jared wanted to apply to the position. I didn't know that because I found out about the position and applied to it. And I found out after I applied that Jared was really excited I applied and was hoping I would apply. So it was interesting. I was living in Philadelphia at the time and the position was on site here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So after I applied and Jared told me he was excited I applied, I thought, oh, wow, okay, this might actually happen. I might actually move to Tennessee. And then I moved here and I've been here ever since. And our organization has evolved tremendously. Um, we, Our school is currently on hold because it's an in-person school. So we were in between cohorts when COVID hit. So the program is currently on hold and we plan to reopen it once it's safe to do so. Um, and right now we're, we are still educating UX designers in different ways. So right now our focus is on helping UX leaders grow their UX practice and grow their UX maturity at their organizations. And that's what I'm working with the team to do now.
0: That's awesome. Is there like any barrier to entry? I'm curious. Is like, do you guys have a requirement on, on what a particular student needs in order to join the school? Or can just anyone who's curious about UX design Kind of just apply
1: mm-hmm. so our school program is two years long it's on site and two years long so it's a pretty big commitment so we have a we have an application process that's very thorough and it's much more like a job interview process than a, than a conventional school application process so we interview you you get to know us through the interview process and uh, through that way we make sure that you are a good fit for the program because it is a big commitment it's two years it's on site Um, again the program's on hold right now due to COVID for safety reasons Uh, but when we plan when we reopen it um, I think we'll we'll still have uh, that type of process just to make sure that you know this program is right for you Um, because we wouldn't I mean we wouldn't want somebody to relocate to Chattanooga come to the to to the program and be in it for a few months and realize it's not for them so um, it is a big commitment and and so yeah so that's that's our process, and it's it's a really great process. It's a great way for us to get to know the applicants, and it's a great way for them to get to know us. And they get really excited about the program. And we've talked to a lot of great folks who've applied to be students.
0: Because I have a couple of friends who actually moved to Tennessee during COVID, and they'd never lived outside of like California before. Like, I'm curious what that process was like. Was it like how did you adapt?
1: yeah so I lived in Philadelphia and I grew up in the Philadelphia area and spent most of my life there I grew up in southern New Jersey which is you know right across the river from Philadelphia I went to the College of New Jersey in New Jersey and then after I graduated I lived in the Philadelphia area on the Pennsylvania side so um You know, Philly was kind of in my blood. And then when I moved here to Chattanooga, it was interesting. It was a big transition because Chattanooga is a lovely, vibrant city. It's just very small compared to Philadelphia. So Philly is, I believe it's the fifth largest city in the country. It's huge. It's a very large city. It's bigger than Atlanta. That's the largest city near me. And Atlanta seems huge now compared to Chattanooga. Um, So it was an adjustment getting used to a smaller city I remember I would, I would go for a walk at lunch and I would bump into the same people all the time in downtown Chattanooga. (laughs) Like, this is so strange, you know, going out for a walk at lunch in Philadelphia, I might see somebody I know, maybe, but for every person I pass on the street that I know in Philadelphia, there's dozens, if not hundreds that I don't know. (laughs) So um, yeah, it was, it was a big transition, Um, but I've really grown to love Chattanooga. I bought a house here. I, I really enjoy it here. I've gotten to really appreciate the South. I like the courtesy down here. You know, the Northeast is pretty rough and gruff and lots of aggressive drivers and all that. And folks are a little more chill down here and I've gotten to appreciate that.
0: Is there anything you're working on right now?
1: Yeah, so I'm working with the team right now. Um, I guess to give you a little bit of context, uh, our business has changed pretty significantly since uh, COVID hit. So before COVID happens, as I mentioned, we had the school uh, and we were in between cohorts at the time when COVID hit. Uh, we also were providing in-person workshops at the time, and that was the bulk of what we did. And we were providing these workshops for senior UX designers or UX leaders, as we refer to them. And they were really great workshops that we had gotten tremendously positive feedback on these workshops folks would fly into our chattanooga office and they'd attend for two days and our co-founder jared spool would give presentations and coach people on how to uh, develop a ux strategy at their organizations and how to elevate um, ux maturity at the organization and it was really great to meet people when they were here and then COVID hit And then all that went out the window, right? We couldn't have in-person workshops anymore. And that was one of the major ways that we did business. So in order to keep serving that audience and also in, in order to keep surviving as a business, we had to figure out what to do. So what we ended up doing was taking the UX strategy playbook in a way and putting it online. And we created a free online community called Leaders of Awesomeness and it's now grown to over 23,000 members as of this recording. When it's a huge community, a very vibrant community, all sorts of great UX leaders in the community. And uh, we also put on free live events in the community where now, Uh, Jared gives presentations on how to increase your UX maturity, and ultimately what we do is we have a paid program. So all the folks who are in the community for free and attend our free live events get a lot of value out of the quality content we provide, and then they join our free six-month program, or excuse me, they join our paid six-month program, and that's where they get really tailored um, uh, support from Jared. And we basically took what we were teaching in that two-day workshop prior to COVID and Built upon it and made it much more robust, and turned it into it's an online six month program where now you get support from Jared for six months on how to elevate UX strategy or excuse me elevate UX at your organization, build UX your yield excuse me build your UX strategy, um, and it's been a great program. We were getting great feedback on the in person workshops we were having, and we're getting even better feedback on the program now. So, as awful as COVID was in a lot of ways in you know, to look at silver linings, it really prompted us to bring what we offer online. And now we can offer it in a much longer, more thorough format and we can offer it to a global audience. So that's where we're at now. And it's like I said, it, despite, you know, all the drawbacks of COVID, it's really exciting to see where we've brought the program.
0: That's great. My eyes kind of bugged out when he said 23,000 members. <laughs> like that's, that's huge. That's impactful yeah. to see That's something so fresh has gotten so large so quickly and mm-hmm. that more and more people are interested in it. That's impressive.
1: Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way, but, but you're right, yeah. Especially because our community tends to attract UX leaders. Um, so, and it's kind of, you can think of an organization like a pyramid, right? Like the further up you go and, you know, Hierarchy-wise, the fewer people there are, so there are there, there tend to be fewer UX design leaders than UX design makers or you know designers, the folks pushing pixels. So it's interesting you say that. Yeah, um, it really puts into perspective how much the field has grown.
0: Yeah, and I feel like a lot of companies too have. Uh, here comes my cat. So, like I mentioned before the recording, <laughs> we can't close doors um she kind of goes where she pleases and right now she's walking over my mic and there she goes okay she's gonna go in the laundry camper and take a nap hopefully okay cool like I said I'm at the mercy of that animal so I apologize <laughs> Yep. okay good she's taking a nap um yeah so like I see user experience like you mentioned there are multiple levels to it you have the user experience director or leader who has a seat at the table, who gets to have say with the other leaders of the organization on how a business should be ran. And then you have UX researchers who are out in the field gathering intel and information mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, create some, give some ammo to designers to to justify some of the decisions that they make. And then you have the product designers or the UX designers who are actually like producing Figma files, maybe front end code. Mm-hmm. So you have all mm-hmm. these different levels of user experience, and I feel like companies still have a trouble, still have trouble defining, like who a user experience designer actually is. So I'm curious mm-hmm. is that is that a challenge that you guys have faced um, within like educating the UX field?
1: Yeah, I think it's a matter of UX maturity. So I've used that phrase a few times, and um, to to define it, it's it's essentially you know how how your organization views and practices UX, and there are all different levels of UX maturity. And for your listeners, if you want to Google uh, UX maturity, uh, there's all sorts of different scales, but they're essentially usually steps one through four, steps one through five, and step one being. You know, the organization has no idea what UX is. And step five being uh, the organization has an extremely robust UX practice that's high quality and gets results for the organization. And then there's every, everything in between. And I think a lot of what you're talking about depends on the UX maturity of the organization. So an organization that's higher up on the scale uh, will have a robust team and will have. Um, the different levels of UX designers, if you will, like you were just talking about director level level folks, uh, UX leaders, managers, all the way down to the more junior folks who are doing a lot more of the hands work. Um, but what, what I see, what I've seen over the years with organizations with a low UX maturity is that they're kind of getting to know what UX is. They're hearing a lot about it and they're starting to understand that it's important. And at the same time, they don't have a full understanding of what Really goes into an effective UX practice. So you'll see them bring in, they'll hire junior people, like, you know, they'll get approval for budget for a position, but it's a ju- it's enough salary for a junior person. So they bring in a junior person, and that person is the sole UX designer, and that poor person's just kind of flailing, trying to figure things out because they're very green um, with their experience level because they're new to the field. And they also don't have the mentorship and the support that you would have with a more robust team. So uh, being in that position can be very challenging and it can be very difficult to grow the maturity of the UX organization, especially if you're that early in the field. Um, but, excuse me, especially if you're that early in your career, um, but growth can happen. And what I've seen in that with certain organizations in that position is what they'll do is they'll eventually start to realize, okay, we need more experience. We need to build a team and they'll start to build a team. And then the UX maturity grows from there.
0: That's, yeah, that's interesting. I've worked in almost every different company that has each level of like design maturity. Like, I've worked at a company before where I was the sole designer and design was treated as everyone's responsibility, therefore, is no one's responsibility. And Mm -hmm. I kind of make the joke that, I mean, if we treated accounting as everyone's responsibility the same way, then how would you think that would, how would you think that would work out? Right. At other companies where design, you know, we had our own department, we had our own team, we had enough funding to host our own conferences. We had, you know, a director at the seat at the table, and we even had like buy-in from the CEO, and so we had a lot of say, like all the different departments of of this particular company had to go through us in order to launch or introduce mm-hmm. any product line. Yeah, and there's yeah. other companies where like other departments, they almost treat each other like competitors almost. It's a weird dynamic. Yeah. Like it's a weird mm-hmm. competitive, combative dynamic. How do you guys approach, do you guys talk about that at all when it comes to, to educating user experience? Like how to identify how a different company runs their particular business and how to take user experience and get it to the point to where it has like
1: mm-hmm. a
0: lot of design maturity.
1: Yeah, that's a huge focus. What you're saying is exactly what we focus on in the Leaders of Awesomeness community. Mm-hmm. Also with our free live events. So our co-founder, Jared Spool, puts on presentations about growing your UX maturity, everything from getting executive buy-in to uh, collaborating, collaborating with stakeholders on you know, crafting a UX vision to get everyone on board with understanding how UX can help the lives of your users, improve the lives of your users. Cause at the end of the day, you know, yes, we're in business to make money, but we need to be improving someone's life. Like this is why businesses exist, right? Like somebody, whether it's a business or a consumer paying that business, they're paying that business because that business is doing something to improve their lives or improve their business, which improves their lives. Right. So really, um, helping our UX leaders understand how to corral everyone that they work with at their organization from the junior folks all the way up to the executives to uh, really gathering around the idea of a UX vision and all agreeing on how it can help the business and the customer and moving it forward. That's a really mm-hmm. like zoomed out high level answer to your question, but yeah. And there are a lot of moving pieces to that UX maturity plays into it. Um, you know, the, the, the skills of your team plays into it, whether or not your team has the skills to, you know, if they can come up with a UX vision that everyone can agree on, well, now we have to implement it and execute it. Right. And lots of, lots of other moving pieces in there.
0: I'm writing down UX maturity. Cause that's a brand new, like phrase that I'm learning that I, yeah. that I didn't know before. And it, it just mm-hmm. makes sense, right? Like the maturity level of user experience, like different companies, they just, they treat it differently. And, it, and it's hard. It's hard to get companies and upper management to treat even just design seriously yeah. sometimes, because I feel like design for a lot of companies, is still treated as a tertiary element to the, you know, product development process.
1: Yeah, and depending on the size of your organization, too, um, UX maturity can vary within the organization. So you could have one team with a high level of UX maturity, and you could have another team with a really low level of UX maturity, especially if you're working at enterprise level, like a really large organization. But if your organization's smaller, it's probably more the organizational level. And if your organization's very large, it can vary by team or department.
0: What was a project that you learned from? the most in terms of user experience and that kind of clicked and and created a new designer in yourself and, and kind of took you to the path where you're at now, where you're kind of educating other designers and user experience individuals.
1: So I'll say I learned a ton from when we had students enrolled and when I was leading projects and managing the students and project managing it was a game changer because before then I was a very senior UX designer, but I was kind of running little projects here and there. And I wasn't really running projects with a team. It was more like me and maybe one or two other designers. Um, And that was right before I started at center center and leading up to that, I wasn't really leading, you know, any kind of team. Right. So when I came to center center and by the way, our school program, we designed it to be much like a work program. So it's, not really like a conventional classroom environment. Like you walk in and you get to work and you it feels like you're working with a design team when you're a student, either if you're a student or a faculty member. And that was very intentional because we wanted the program to be as realistic as possible to prepare students to be industry ready. So even though I was a faculty member, I was really more of a UX leader, manager, um, mentor, project manager. And that was a huge learning experience. I learned so much. And one of the big things that I learned from that was really how to be an effective leader and by leader, leader and manager too. like leadership and management are two different things, but you know, there's overlap between the two and learning how to do that effectively. And one of my big takeaways from that experience was really learning, uh, how to, how to, execute collaborative management versus top-down management because when I first got into the b- position I thought well you know why don't I just make decisions and tell the students what to do because I'm in charge and you know that seemed like the easy thing to do it seemed to make sense you know I'm in charge so let me just make decisions and have the students execute and I found that that wasn't going over very well when I was the one making the decisions and and telling the students to execute they just weren't really bought into the execution or they weren't bought into the decision or the morale just wasn't very high. And what I realized, thanks to some coaching from my co-founders, is that uh, it's just a human thing that you know, the more people think an idea is theirs, the more they're going to be bought into the idea and the more they're going to be willing to follow through with it. So I went from being this sort of top-down style manager leader to learning how to really lead a team into reaching a decision and how to lead a discussion around, hey, okay, here's this goal. Here's what we need to achieve. How are we going to achieve this goal? Let's talk about this and getting input from the team. And a few of the things that I realized were number one, you know, two heads are better than one. (laughs) So in this case, there were six students and one of me, it was actually two faculty members at the time. Um, But the students would often come up with way better ideas than I had even thought of. So just the Power of the team if I think if once and another thing I realized is once I learned how to collaborate effectively I realized how strong collaboration was so just really leading these efforts and in getting input on how to why we were making decisions how to make decisions um, that was huge and not only did the students come up with better ideas but once we all arrived at a decision we were able to Um, have the students really on board with the decision and executing the work. And it was just such a game changer. And that's a skill that I will continue to carry throughout the rest of my career. Even when I don't have people managing to me, if I'm sitting in it, or excuse me, even if I don't have people reporting to me, if I'm sitting in a meeting and we're all trying to arrive at a decision, I will just start facilitating facilitating a discussion on, okay, how are we gonna do this? What ideas do you have? And like I said, very often people come up with better ideas than I had. And we discuss it as a team and we move forward. And there's, there's definitely an art to it too, because, you know, you might have a dominant personality, somebody who insists that we do it this way and other folks disagree. So, you know, it's, it's not all, it's not always as smooth as I just painted it out to be, but again, there's an art to, you know, kind of it, managing those personalities and helping everybody reach consensus.
0: I like how you said that most people won't really engage until you've kind of jedi mind tricked them into thinking that you know the decision was their own i like it's it sounds a lot like like you're designing a conversation yeah it sounds very similar to some of the workshops there's only really one kind of workshop method that i use and it's and it's called design studio it's kind of an older method oh yeah yeah where you get everyone in the meeting actually if they're going to be involved in the meeting they have to draw like it doesn't matter who you are Yes. If you're involved in the project, you need to fold your paper, piece of paper into quadrants and actually draw in those quadrants uh, your ideas for the particular problem that we're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. And once you get them yeah. actually um, playing, I like to call it playing because you're—they're not just shooting out ideas from the hip and they're not just saying opinions and kind of derailing the conversation. But once you get someone actually drawing, you get a lot of interesting ideas and uh information that you can use to actually solve the core issue of the problem like instead of using something like five whys which is also useful too but like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. getting people who aren't used to drawing and drawing is scary right drawing is intimidating but once you get them Mm -hmm. actually playing and drawing and coloring and you you get these really cool ideas once everyone's you know collaborating it's it's kind of like a hive mind it's really cool
1: yeah a well-executed design studio is Fantastic! Yeah, we we did a lot of design studios with the students at Center Center, uh, and they were just they're just. It's a great tool. It's a great tool for getting input on ideas. Uh, it's a great tool also for involving non designers. Um, a very again, if it's as long as it's well executed, it's really great for getting stakeholders involved in the process because the stakeholders are sketching ideas and sharing ideas, and they feel like they've had input in the process. I think it also is a good way to get stakeholders to understand how hard it is to build software. I remember years ago, I used to work at an agency called Happy Cog, uh, which was very well known uh, years ago. And we had a client where we ran a uh, design studio exercise with the client, and uh, half of the participants were Happy Cog uh, designers, and half the participants were folks from the client side. And I remember at the end of the workshop, one of the clients came up to me and and told me how he realized just how hard it is to build a website after going through the process. Uh, So there are just so many great layers to why design studios are beneficial. And yeah, basically a design studio is just one example of how you can, you know, design conversations and design collaboration to help move, you know, your design project forward.
0: Yeah. And it's a great way, I think, too, to get to the human problem of what you're trying to solve as opposed to talking in technical terms. Like I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of companies take user stories and they make them more technical than they need to be. And it doesn't actually address the human problem you're trying to solve. So when you get people involved that are non-designers, you get to the core human aspect of what it is the particular user is trying to accomplish as opposed to the technical limitations or what you actually in your mind, what you want to build for the product Right. Because I think designers, we all have this natural bias because we all go on dribble, We all go on different <laughs> portfolios. We all get yeah. this like general sense of like the perfect, like an idea of what a perfect UI looks like. But sometimes that doesn't solve the core human problem of, you know, the story you're trying to solve for. So I think I mm-hmm. think teaching students to collaborate more um, as opposed to just, you know, designing in a solo void where you know, we all okay. kind of do it too. Like you get in your jam, you get, you block off time to design and it's nice, right? You get to, you know, create artboards and, and actually get to producing design, but without having that collaboration without having that insight, you could be killing time.
1: Yeah. There's, there's so much good stuff in there that, that you just shared. And, and one of the things that made me think of was that You know we live in a world where we're not really taught how to collaborate very well most of us aren't taught how to collaborate very well like we've probably all been through that situation in school you know whether you went to college or high school or whatever it was where you were put on a group project and you know it was just like pulling teeth (laughs) to get the work done and and you know you're put in groups and you have to work in groups and that's life right most jobs involve working in a group setting of some sort working on a team um But, you know, most of us just aren't taught how to collaborate and collaboration can be done effectively if it's well executed, as I mentioned earlier, but I think, um, it's a very hard skill to learn, unfortunately. Um, but you know, it can be learned. That's a good thing.
0: That's a great point. And it, I feel like a lot of, not just designers, but people who work in a team, they take it personally. Like, the the process of critique is difficult because to train someone to take your uh, personal self away from what you're producing and to look at it from an outside perspective and to critique it with everyone else without saying, oh, this is mine. They're all saying this sucks. I'm a horrible designer. But actually looking at it from a problem-solving perspective, like I feel like once you train that for you know designers and, and other people in the organization, it just helps with the product overall, right? Because when you, once you create a design for a company, that design, in my opinion, is no longer yours. That design is now the company's and the potential product of that company that they're gonna sell. And if you're gonna do that effectively, you have to look at it from, from the outside, from, from away from your ego and look at it and see if it's sincerely solving the problem uh, you know, to create that product and to, and to make money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you're talking about, I think I could even, we could even call it maybe designer maturity. We've talked right, a lot yeah. about UX maturity, you know, within the organization of or the team, but I think most designers go through that. I think it's, it's very common for junior designers, not all junior designers, but many um, to be very precious about their work mm-hmm. and to have, um, And it's difficult to receive critique of your work. And again, talking about how lots of things are earned, learned skills, learning how to listen to critique and receive critique and request critique and set the stage for good critique. Those are all, uh, learnable skills. And they're all skills that, unfortunately, again, a lot of us just don't learn. Like a lot of design schools don't really do a great job of preparing you for that. So, um, I think it's a bit of professional maturity and personal maturity. And I also think it's a bit of, again, learning those skills. It's just amazing, you know, how many skills designers really need to learn. <laughs> it's just, it, it never ends. You know, it's like you peel back the layer of the onion and, and you think you've got it. And then there's another layer and then you think you've got it and there's another layer. And there's just, there's just so much. I mean, we just talk so much about collaboration, about receiving critique, about, uh, being open to receiving input on your work. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And it's actually one of the things I love about our field is just because there's so much to learn and there's so much that, you know, because I, I love, um, my passion is really servant leadership for UX designers. And there's so much that I've learned that I want to pass on to them. So just kind of zooming out and, and getting all like excited about the field. That's, that's a big takeaway I'm getting from this conversation
0: that's a great segue into my next question. So if you were to talk to your younger self about a career in user experience, I mean, what would you say to, to younger Jessica?
1: I would say go for it because I, I love this field. I love what I do. So I would say, yeah, you made a good decision. Keep going for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not really sure what else I would say. Uh, but I knew once I discovered what UX was, I knew it's what I wanted to do. And this was quite a while ago. Yeah, it was... It was it was a good decision, and luckily it, the field really grew and it became stable. You know, because going into something new, you're like, is this really a good idea? Is this really a, where I want my career to go? Even though I loved it, you know, I had to think big picture, and you know, is this really a stable field to be in? And it turned out, you know, the, I mean, the field has just ballooned since then. This is geez, like I got into it in probably 2006, you know, so it's been a while, but yeah, it's. I again, I love what I do, and and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and tell myself to do anything different, really. I mean, I I might have given myself some advice on, you know, how to do a few things a little better, but at the same time, you know, that's life and that's learning, and I've learned a lot.
0: I feel like I got into UX like accidentally. When I initially went to school, I was learning web design, but at the same time, I was also learning fine art because I love to draw and I had ADHD. And I did poorly in high school because i spent too much time drool or I almost said drooling, doodling and drooling in my notebook. Right. Um, (laughs) So I did poorly in high school, didn't do too well. I knew I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get into some sort of Ivy League school right out of high school because I just did so poorly, um, you know, and web design just made money so so much quicker mm-hmm. than than you know drawing portraits and doing landscapes and and playing with oils and uh from web design like I don't I still don't know when the pivot actually happened to where I was now titled a product designer and then that title switched to to user experience like I'm not quite sure when that pivot actually happened but I'm glad it did and like you mentioned before it's almost kind of your job as a user user experience designer to learn. Like you have to be curious if you're going to be in this field. This mm-hmm. field is changing constantly. And if you can't adapt, then you're not going to do very well.
1: I agree. And that's something that um, we would look for when we were interviewing student applicants for our, our school program. Because it's learning, like you said, it's just so critical. There's so much to learn in the field. I, I have learned... More things about being a UX designer, being a UX leader than I could probably ever count. Um, and there's still so much more for me to learn. And I've been in the field, it'll be 20 years in a few years. So, yeah. And that, on top of just, you know, there, I think there are some evergreen skills and concepts in our field that will always be here. And at the same time, technology evolves, the world changes. There's just so much to adapt to and so much to learn. So, yeah, this is not. I think some, one of my friends said it well, uh, who works in the field. He said, this is not the type of field where you can just come in and rest on your laurels <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah, this is not, if that's what you're looking for, this is definitely not the field for you. Um, but yeah, I think having a learner's mindset is really critical for sure. Um, and again, that was one of the things that we looked for uh, when we were when we were taking applications for the school was, we, was one of our criteria, actually, that we would... Uh, Look for when we were asking interview questions, which was, is this person a self-learner? Because yes, they will learn with us along at school, uh, or they will learn along with us at school, you know, in a group setting, that type of thing. Uh, But they also need to have have self-learning skills because after they graduate, um, they'll, you know, they're not going to have, uh, the school setting anymore, right? They're going to have to keep learning, and that's really critical. And even the way that we designed our program was, you know, we'd have group workshops, like you would have like a workshop type classroom setting in a conventional school, but we didn't do that very often. And it was a lot of uh, self learning, even um, a lot of teamwork, um, but also going off and self learning and practicing on your own. So that was a really critical skill that we look for, and I think it's it's invaluable for UX designers today. There's just you know the learning never stops. My our other co-founder Leslie often says, um, I'm trying to remember how she words it. She says, um, once if you're ever done learning, then there's no more point to living because living <laughs> is learning, right?
0: No, that's true. That's very yeah. true. It's it's a very human thing to to learn because like if you're not adapting, you die. I mean, I, I mean not literally, <laughs> right. but right. It's kind of nature. Mm-hmm. With. Your history of educating UX and public speaking. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about UX that you learned through your history of public speaking and and education?
1: Oh gosh, misconceptions about UX. Yeah, you know, you had um, you had mentioned before before this interview that you were going to ask me about this. I had to think about it, and I think one of the biggest things that I'm seeing, you know, working with. UX designers of all levels to build their career skills, is thinking about UX career shifters. uh, There are a lot of folks who come into the field who want to specialize right away. And I think, I agree with um, our co-founder Jared Spool. He talks a lot about the power of being a generalist over a specialist. I think that's really critical. Um, And I see a lot of new folks coming into the field who are learning about UX design, learning about the different Specialties and areas of UX design, and they'll say, "Oh, I want to be a researcher," or "Oh, I want to be an interaction designer," or "I want to be a content strategist." And they're very new to things. And I think, um, I think if you if you do that and you're new to the field, I think you're, you're it's just not something I recommend. I think you're setting yourself a little short. And there are a few reasons for selling yourself a little short. And there are a few reasons for that. I think number one, um, Jared uses the analogy of learning to be a doctor. And he talks about how doctors become generalists first. So we can look at the medical field and we can see how they prepare doctors. And so if you wanna be a neurosurgeon, you can't you know, get your bachelor's degree in biology or pre-med and then jump right into neurosurgery, right? You go to med school and you go through the entire program. You learn about the entire body. You learn about all, all the anatomy, all the physiology, you learn about all the medicine and, you know, so you basically get a well-rounded understanding of the human body and how medicine is used to treat the human body. And then at that point, that's when you specialize. And at that point you have a full understanding of everything in the body. And then you you can make an informed choice about what you wanna specialize in. Uh, And even in, in the bigger reason that it's that, medical training works that way is because you need to understand everything like you can't treat the brain without understanding how it's going to affect the heart you can't treat the liver without understanding how it's going to affect you know uh the muscles around it that kind of thing so this is how medical education works and there's a good reason for that it's because you know you need to be a generalist before you're a specialist that's really the best way i think to go about anything and I agree I agree with that wholeheartedly when it comes to UX. I think if you come into the field and you go right into research, you're really selling yourself short because you're uh, cutting your your exposure to all the facets of UX. You're not going to understand how a project works from the beginning to the end. Uh, you're not going to have experience with how a project runs from the beginning to an end. You might not have experience with information architecture, or content strategy, prototyping, interaction design, whatever it is if you just go into research. So, uh, that's a conversation that I've had with a lot of folks. A friend of mine now who's a UX designer, I believe he's a generalist. He has been for a few years. When he first told me he wanted to get into UX design, he told me he wanted to be a researcher and we had this conversation. Uh, and then then he became really open to getting more generalist positions and he got a great first job and he's still there. He's been there for about three years, I think. Um, and at some point he might want to specialize in research, but right now he's learning all of those basics that I just talked about. And it's really going to give him a good foundation for the rest of his career.
0: And It's funny. There's a lot of parallels with being a generalist too. Like I was kind of thinking when I was learning about art and fine art, Pablo Picasso, and I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but it's basically, I learned the rules so that I can break them. Like he learned (laughs) the fundamentals, right. And anatomy and color theory and uh, you know, cues contrast all that all of that fundamental education in order for him to now break the rules find what his niche was going to be and then become pablo picasso right Mm -hmm. um so i think there are a lot of parallels with that generalist mindset um not just with design but like you said um you know the medical field the art field and i think there's also a really cool perspective also talking about art too. Cause I still, I still dabble in art. Like, I mean, I don't make any money at it, obviously. And yeah. I can, by no means, I don't compare myself to any other artist. I, I basically do it now to kind of manage anxiety. And it's a nice kind of activity for me, um, for my mental health. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a time where I was actually going back to school to learn storyboard art. And yeah. um, there's this really cool uh This really cool education center in Pasadena called the Concept Design Academy, and they teach anatomy, they teach all the fundamentals, but they also say that if you want to get into the design field as a concept artist, you have to know 3D, even though 3D isn't a part of the traditional curriculum in order for you to be hired at a studio you have to use 3d because it's such a great useful tool for perspective that mm. you can't ignore mm. it and yeah. you know artists concept artists back in the 70s and 80s they used markers they used um you know oils you don't see a concept designer in the 2000s or 2000s 2020s, <laughs> 2010s right <laughs> a concept see i have no concept of time anymore because of covid <laughs> but you don't see a concept designer today working in the field working on say the mandalorian he's using three he or she they they're using 3d they're using modern tools because it's faster it's more efficient It oh it helps sell the idea they're not they're not using they're not using oils and, and acrylics like they did when they were making star Wars. Right. So you kind of have to have that generalist mindset. You have to have that learner's mindset to get a job. And in order to do that, you have to be competitive. And in order to that, you have to be a generalist, you know, in my, in my opinion. So, yeah,
1: I agree. And this is really controversial. The whole generalist versus oh,
0: totally. It's on Twitter all the time.
1: (laughs) Folks have opinions about it, but I agree. I mean, there's no substitute for a strong foundation, a strong well-rounded foundation and in the field of UX, you know, um, and I consider myself a generalist. I've done pretty much everything. And I'm really grateful for that because when I step into a project, um, you know, I could jump into, like if I were to change jobs, right? And I were to join a team that was in the middle of a project, I could jump in and ask questions about, you know, and look at the, work in previous stages of the project and see where we're at now and see where we're going and understand the whole picture, right? And I can do that because I have that well-rounded foundation. I know what I'm looking at, I know what I'm seeing. And I think a specialist um, would really would really struggle with that uh, unless they were able to compensate for it after years and years and years of specializing and just gradually getting exposure. But I don't, I don't really think it's the same thing. Um, another thing, and I had written about this, I had written about this topic a few years ago, and this was back before COVID, when the economy was booming, and um, uh, you know there were jobs galore, and, and things were just different. I remember writing about how, you know, in the next economic downturn, because there will be one, because that's life, uh, you're going to be more marketable as a generalist. Right, because yep. when when companies slash their budgets, they tend to slash budgets for specialists. Because why would they hire you at you know? Let's just pick a salary of one hundred thousand dollars, just for an easy number. Why would they hire you a researcher for one hundred thousand dollars if they could hire a generalist for one hundred thousand dollars who can do research and can also do all these other things, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that I just think there are so many advantages to being a generalist, and uh, I would recommend it to anybody getting into the field that. You know, and of course I also say, you know, people have also said to me, well, what if you're shifting your career into UX and the only position that you get offered is for uh, a researcher position I'd say, well, you know, consider taking the offer, you know, obviously you have to do what's right for you. And, you know, we can't all have the happy path when it comes to, you know, building our career, but I think it's a, it's a really important thing to keep in mind. And, um, I hope more folks understand the value of being a generalist, um, sooner than later and are able to make an informed decision about how they move through their career.
0: Yeah. And selfishly speaking, I think the only reason why I've been hired in this field is because I have been a generalist and I have been open to, to learning. Like I'm happy to get on the phone, to talk with users, talk with customers and, you know, conduct usability sessions. That's no problem. I have no problem interviewing users. I have no problem creating Figma files or sketch files or Photoshop files, you know, whatever the team what they feel is the most suitable for for their workflow. I have no problem working in those tools. I also have no problem with coding because I have a web design background. So if creating a prototype for me, if, if I can do it faster and more efficiently in HTML and CSS and also send that out to a client so that they can test it on their own time without having to share my screen and also have some sort of alpha too. Like I can send it to them as an alpha they can play with it on their own time send feedback since it is online and also i can control the credentials i can have all of those different tools and if i didn't have that generalist mindset or was open to learning those tools that made my job better and 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 you know faster for me to to create design i i can't get hired like i'm not in the top right i'm not in the top I'm going to be honest, I'm not in the top 5,000 designers, uh, you know, in the field in terms of talent. Uh, if if I look at icons, if I look at illustrations, if I look at, um, you know, responsive design, if I look at any of those particular niches, I can't compete. My friends are super talented. Like I look at some of the stuff that they do and I'm like, there's no way that I could I could even get to their level on some of the specialized things that they work on. The only reason why I think I've been hired throughout my career is because I can just I can I'm a generalist. I can juggle. It's not a problem for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it it makes you a more valuable designer. It makes you more appealing to hiring managers too, because hiring managers want people who can jump in and do things, right? Um, going back to the learning thing that we were talking about earlier, they also want good learners, right? So the more well-rounded you are, the more you can jump in and do things. You know, if, if your coworker is the one who tends to work on the information architecture most of the time and then they get sick, heaven forbid, and have to go on leave, someone's gonna have to jump in and do that work. And if you right. are the person who can jump in and do that work, you're gonna be really valuable to the team, you're gonna be really valuable to hiring managers, um, and again, going back to the learning, they want folks who are able to learn. So in that scenario, if you hadn't done much information architecture work, but you were a good self learner and you could you know, read a few blog posts or watch a few videos or even read a, read a book over the weekend or however it is that you learn, if you can come back in in a few days and you know, get the ball rolling, I mean, that's also a great skill. And the way to be a good learner and be able to step up and do that is to just have a learner's mindset and be learning all the time.
0: That's great. So yeah. I know we're at time. I want to be respectful of your time. I know it's Friday night. I know you mentioned that your daughter's <laughs> sleeping in the other room. It sounds like your house is really chill right now, so I you know I don't <laughs> want to take up any more of your time. So to end this awesome podcast, uh, how can people get a hold of you, Jessica, and get a hold of uh, Center Center?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to be on here. Um, and if folks want to get in touch with me, uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can reach me there. Uh, through my website. There's also a contact form. And if you're interested, if you have any questions about Center Center UIE, you're welcome to contact me directly, or you can just contact us online through many channels. Just look us up, and there are lots of ways to get in touch with us.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Jessica. Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica. Thanks again, (laughs) Jessica. I'm going to edit that out. (laughs) Thank you, Casey.